Uh, if you've got the Harborside app, if you've got your phone, if, you, if you're new with us this morning, we welcome you. You can download the app real quickly. Lots of scriptures on there. I've got about four that aren't in there if you're a note taker. I added those late last night. Um, it wasn't right. I had to get it right. So we're going to start with Proverbs chapter 3. And here's the very first verse of that. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your what? In your heart. And here's the point. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. If we're honest, we think about prosperity and we think about longevity. If we're honest. Nobody in the room doesn't want to prosper. And nobody, everybody in the room probably wants to go to heaven, just not today. So we want long life, and we want prosperity. So nobody in the room wants poverty, unless you've taken a vow of poverty, which is none of my people. Um, so so n- nobody wants poverty, and nobody wants a short life, right? We all want those two things. We want long life, and we want prosperity. And we think about it. We think about those two things all the time. So I was going around to connect groups. We've got 128 connect groups, and obviously I didn't get to all of them in this last session, but I got to 27. I got to 27 connect groups. I'll do more of those in in February and January when we kick them back up again, and I love that. I've really enjoyed going to the connect groups, spending about 20 minutes with each group, answering your questions, getting to know you by name and face. It's been awesome. But week one of that connect groups here at church, somebody asked the question, hey, we're getting ready to do this capital campaign. Can you teach us how to make more money? And I just kind of said, yeah, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. And week two, same question. And week three, I kid you not, week three, a couple said, we've never heard a sermon on how to make more money. And I thought to myself, well, there's a reason for that. Because preachers don't want to touch that, or there's the health and wealth gospels on TV that have perverted it. And so I, I, I went back on that following Monday and just camped out, and I was just reminded, again, that the Bible talks more about money than any other subject. There's 5,253 verses on money. Jesus, every third Sunday, if he was your preacher, would be preaching on how to make money, how to save money, how to invest money, debt. Every third Sunday, a third of the parables are about money. And so I thought, my goodness, that's such an interesting topic. And so I, I'm not sure that I can do this well today. I've never done this before, and I've never heard a sermon on it that I've liked. And after today, you're going, I haven't either. I haven't, I, I, I'm right there with him, Okay. But I'm going to try this today, and we're going to kind of walk through this together. So the first thing I want you to do is to picture a table. And the table has how many legs? Four. All right, so keep the four legs in your mind. And when you think about the word capital, everyone immediately thinks about what? Finances. When you hear capital, capital is usually used from a perspective of It's something that you have, it's something that you own, it's something that you can share, it's something that you can sell, it's something you can invest. When you think about capital, it's it's a worth, a value, an asset of something. 
And so the first thing that comes to everyone's mind when they hear the word capital is always finances. But as I began to look through the scriptures about four weeks ago on this topic, I realized, and picture four legs of a table, picture all four legs, the Bible talks about four different types of capital. And one of those capitals definitely finances, sure, but another one of those capitals is truly social capital. I'll come back to these. Another one is theological capital, and another one of these capitals is emotional capital. The Bible talks about all four of this. Now, the problem with a table for Thanksgiving, if one of those legs is five or six inches shorter, what's going to happen to the mashed potatoes? They're going to just fly off the table, right? And so the problem is all four of those legs need to be, but we don't think that way. I think most of the time you think about money. And Jesus knew we would struggle with money. Why did Jesus talk and preach and communicate about money more than... See, you don't have to be a believer today. This fits for everybody. It's good if you are a believer because that's the theological capital. But this is, this is universal. All of us on this planet think about longevity and we think about how do I make more money? And so the scriptures don't leave this topic alone. God helps us with this topic that's on our hearts and on our minds all of the time. And so to make him famous in this capital campaign, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, he says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so when you think about capital, yeah, there's financial capital, but this is really social capital. This is really talking about how you love people and the difference people will make in your life. And the way you treat people will really determine how many open doors or how many shut doors you have. And the way you treat and honor people will really determine whether or not you have the hand and the favor of God on you or whether God takes his hand and favor off of you. And what's so interesting about all four of these capitals is you can keep getting more and more and more and more capital from your Heavenly Father, or you can keep getting less and less and less and less capital from your Heavenly Father. So let's, let's just think through this just for a minute. If three different people ask me in connect groups, how do we make more money? The answer always comes back to capital, but it comes back to whether or not the hand of God is really on all four areas of these lives. So let's walk through these real quickly. The first one would be theological capital. And theological capital would be your relationship with your heavenly father. And theological capital is broken down into two categories. One would be getting right with God, and the other one would be staying right with God. And so if you get right with God, the hand of God comes on you, and if you stay right with God, the hand of God continues to be over your life. But if you don't stay right with God, and if you don't get right with God, God kind of is the perfect gentleman sitting back in the corner, and he doesn't have his hand upon your life. Now, every one of us in this room qualifies for the favor of God. And every one of us in this room qualifies for the hand of God to be on our life. And so the first capital is theological. And so it's called justification and sanctification. If you don't know what those words mean, don't worry about it. They're 50-cent words, and none of us can even spell them, so don't worry about it. But justification is passive. 
It's getting right with God. It's saying, God, i got to get right with you, and there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. It's your grace that saves me. That's the passive side of theological capital. But there's a very active side, and the active side is why you pray. The active side is why you read the scriptures. The active side is why we'll do a 21-day fast in January. So keep eating that pumpkin pie between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but by January, we're in a 21-day fast. I'm preaching to myself because by three days after Thanksgiving, I'm eating pumpkin pie for breakfast. I mean, what is up with that? I have no self-discipline whatsoever. So, so the active side, the active side of theological capital, it's what you do. Do you pray? Do you study the scriptures? Do, are you obedient? Are you into the fast? Are you? And so theological capital, you can get more and more and more, or you can actually get, I mean, what's behind me, less and less and less. So the first leg of your table is theological capital. Have I gotten right with God, and am I staying right with God? Another form of capital is emotional. Now, how does emotional capital help me to have more money or have less money? Well, if you're insecure and you have very little emotional capital, you're going to buy things to make you feel better about yourself, which gives you actually less money in the bank. And so the Bible talks so much about emotional capital. It never uses EC, but it talks about your peace versus your anxiety. It talks about your hope versus your fears. Emotional capital is huge in the Bible. It's your soul. It, why is my soul downcast, O Lord? And has your soul been full? And so theologically, I get right with God, and when I stay right with God, my emotional capital, the leg on this table, is also the right length. Some of you spend money because you're trying to feel better about yourself. And you're just hoping the next toy, the next purchase, the next whatever is going to fill that hole in your heart. And it never can. It never will because it, it wasn't designed to. And so emotional capital really helps you to have more money because it helps you to make better decisions. Because you're making spending decisions, investment decisions, saving decisions based upon the spirit of the living God now inside of you versus something else inside of you that's driving you. So you've got theological capital. Are you still with me? This is either going to work or I'm going to be selling beer and cigarettes at the Circle K by Tuesday. So <laughs> I, I don't know. But, all right. So first leg is, is, is theological capital. Probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, theological capital is the first leg. Second leg is emotional capital. We're all thinking about financial capital. Okay, we'll come back to that. But let's talk about social capital, the value of people in your life. Now, my, young, my granddaughter is now 14 months old. Callie's just over a year. And I, I look at all the people in Callie's life. I look at her mom and her dad who are pouring into her every single day. There's, there's four grandparents. His parents live here. We live here. So there's four of us. There's several sets of great-grandparents, but there's a set of grandparents that actually live here uh, in, in our Clearwater area in, in countryside. There's aunts. There's uncles. There's spouses of aunts, spouses of uncles. Ka Callie's got 20, 25 people who all have her best interests in mind. And every time we're with Callie, 
we're encouraging her, we're loving her. We're, I, every time, I've, the few, very few times that I've rocked her and tried to put her to bed, I have prayed over her. That's a nightmare on Elm Street. But I've prayed over her. I'm praying the whole time over her, right? And, and so she has all these people who are singing and playing the piano and, and, and helping her to walk. The, the point is, you're smart and you're gifted. And you've worked really, really hard in life. But when you underestimate the people in your life who have helped you and blessed you and given you these opportunities, and, and, the, and the, the, the inability then to give back to people, I think kind of takes the hand in the favor of God a little bit off your life because God's going, man, I had my hand in favor all over you. I look back on my life. In my first kindergarten first grade, second grade, third grade, I was not a great student in, by the third grade. I was a ball player, loved everything that had a ball that moved. I just keep me moving. Don't set me down in the classroom. Try to learn something. And I'll never forget Mrs. World. Third grade, halfway through the year, Mrs. World leans over my shoulder, puts her hand on my shoulder with the softest of eyes. She looks into me and she said, I'm not getting my best from you in the classroom. How about taking some of that that's out there on the ball field and give me just, Kurt, just give me a little bit of that. If you'll give me a little bit of that, I will help you to become a great student. Mrs. World changed my world. I look back on the coaches. I look back on the teachers. I look back on the youth pastor. I, I look back on... Those elders in Memphis, I was 28 years old as a senior pastor. I am convinced you need to be a senior pastor. You need to start when you're 117. <laughs> That's when you need to start being a senior pastor because you need the wisdom of Solomon. And, and, and I had an elder there named Doyle Brown. And Doyle Brown would take me bass fishing about every three weeks. I thought we were bass fishing, and it took me three years to figure out. We weren't bass fishing. He was giving me a leadership lesson every time we went out. Who's helped you? Who are all the people who've given you windows and doors of opportunities? It's the social capital that I think we sometimes miss. And so you know what? There are some people in your life you probably need to get rid of. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future, good or bad. There are probably some people, some evil people or some foolish people in your life that you need to boot that they're not helping you a bit. And there's probably some other people around you that you just need to let love and faithfulness never leave you. Just bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And he's talking about the people in your inner circle. He's talking about the love and faithfulness of the people that, that, that you you must be around, that you have to be around, that have to be a part of your life. All right, let's keep moving because we want to make him famous. Now, how do we do that? Well, I want you to, first of all, recognize that God's not against you. God's not some cosmic killjoy that wants to take away your money. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. God is always on your side and I, rem I remind myself of Psalm 37, 25 all the time. You delight. You delight in my prosperity. You, you alone delight in my prosperity. And that's true for every one of us in this room. That's Psalm 37, verse 25. Thank you, Lord, 
Thank you that you delight in my prosperity. And he says this then. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and the sight of man. This is the favor of God. He says, let love and faithfulness, verse 3, never leave you. Bind them around your neck. And if you love people and you understand the social capital in your life. See, I think we think about the financial capital. and the, the, The emotional capital makes sense to us. And the theological capital makes all the sense in the world to us. I, I think we underestimate the social capital. I think we underestimate the role of people in our lives. Do you only hang around people who are not as good as you? Are you always looking for people who are a notch or two below you? When I go fishing, offshore fishing, I want people on the, in the boat who are far better than I am. I want people who can fix the engine too. But I want people who are far better. And I learn something. There's very few people in your life that you can't learn something from. But if you don't think you can learn anything from anybody else, you don't have that favor. And the, the hand of God just, I think, just moves back and moves off of your life. You can have the favor. You can have the favor of God, and you can have the favor of people. And when you have the favor of your Heavenly Father and the, the favor of people, He just puts more opportunities in front of you. You say, well, I, I've, got, I've got enough money. Okay. Enough money for what? Enough money for you? Enough money for you to crawl to the finish, finish line? I mean, wh- what does that mean when people say, I've got enough money? You see, the point is, your life's not about you. You gave your life to the one who gave his life for you. And now your life belongs to him. What does he have in store for you? What are the opportunities that he has in front of you? So I want to go down a a trail here that I've never taught on before, and I'm going to take a chance with this. You all know Malachi chapter 3, 8 to 10, that talks about tithing. But I bet you've not really thought much about verse 11, which talks about the devourer who devours your stuff. So here's what he says. Will a mere man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. See, the whole point about the tithe and the whole point about the Sabbath was not about the money and not about a day of rest. It was all about trust. Let's talk about the Sabbath. The Sabbath, they were the only nation... You see, they, everybody had to work seven days a week just to get food. They were the only nation that was ever asked to work six days and to trust God with taking one day off. The, the Sabbath was more than rest. The Sabbath was about total trust. And the tithe wasn't about money either. The tithe was all about trust. Will you trust that God will take 90% of your income and take then his, the 10% you give and bless you more than 100% on your own? The tithing is not about the money. The tithing is always about trust. And so God wants their trust. He wants their heart. Will you trust me with the tithe? Will you trust me with the Sabbath? Well, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? And he says this, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. Well, just push pause on that. Does that mean there is a storehouse in heaven that's just waiting to be opened for you? Absolutely. That's absolutely what that means. 
That means in heaven, your capacity and your territory is far bigger and far greater than you could ever dream or imagine. And God says, I want you to test me in this. It's the only place in the whole Bible where he ever asked you to test him. So test him. The next three months, if you think I'm just crazy, then don't give anything to anybody for three months and see how well your finances go. If you've never done it before, test him. And tithe for three months. That's it. Three months only and see what happens because either God's word is real or it's not. It's either true or it isn't. And that's not even my point. Here's the next point, verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not destroy their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I've never thought about this before. About two months ago, Danine and I had this conversation and we never noticed the devourer. The devourer. You've said this. People have said this. I make a lot of money. Where does it go? We make a lot of money. How come we don't have any money left over? We make a lot of money. Where in the world does it go? The devourer's got you. And every time somebody comes to me with financial problems, the first thing I want to ask is, are you tithing? I don't because they're crying and they're upset and they're a mess. But the first thing I want to say to them is, the devourer's got you. Look what he says in the Amplified Translation. Then I will rebuke the devourer. This is the same verse, verse 11. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the fields drop its grapes, signed by God of the angel armies. That's the Amplified Translation of verse 11. What does that mean? Does that mean that your washing machine will never go out? Does that mean you'll never have a flat tire? Does that mean you'll never have, never have a downturn in business? No, I don't think so. But what I do think it means is, some of you, because you don't trust him, he is devouring your crops and your stuff. Now, you still may have enough money to get by and to get through. But what if you, so, so here's, the, here's the question, here's the answer to the question. Do you want to have more money? It comes down to trust. It comes down to generosity. And it comes down to honor. It's what it comes down to. Will you trust him with the tithe? And will you then be generous? Are you a generous person? When you tithe and when you're generous and when you trust and when you honor, the favor of the Lord God Almighty just comes upon your life. I'm not a health and wealth gospel preacher. I'm a conservative preacher who's just reading the scripture. And some of you, the devourer is devouring your car, your house, your stuff. He's devouring you. And yet he promises that he has a floodgate. There's a storehouse up in heaven that he has in store for you. So he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your crops. He says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. I didn't write this. Don't get mad at me this morning, okay? I didn't rhyme, just a communicator. Don't shoot the messenger. Could it be your next opportunity is about trust? And then generosity goes to a whole new level. One of our elders in the room this morning, six or seven years ago, just challenged me with this. Ray, you challenged me with this six or seven years ago about being generous. 
been a tither all my life, but I, I really wasn't generous. And I, I went on a study of what did it mean to be generous. I've been free, free because of the generosity. Then you will win favor and a good name when you trust, when you're generous, and when you honor the Lord. Let's go back to social capital one more time. He says, don't withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to act. And don't say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it back to you. This is social capital. This is how you treat people. You've never looked in the eyes of anyone that your heavenly father wasn't passionately in love with. Everybody you work with, everybody in your family, everybody you do business with, God is passionately in love with them. How do you treat them? How do you honor your vendors? Do you pay your bills on time? How do you handle your resources? God cares how you do all of this. When you already have it with you, don't, don't plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully, uh, trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have done you no wrong. This is all social capital. That's all that that is. Well, let's finish this passage. Trust in the Lord. Lisette did that during communion. It's one of our favorite verses, isn't it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. So again, how now do you have more money? Well, guess what? It all comes down to wisdom. It all comes down to your pursuit of wisdom. Well, yeah, maybe it helps if you bought Apple stock when it was down. Okay, that's great. I'm not saying that. But how do you have more money? It's the pursuit of wisdom. And that's what he says in Proverbs. The wiser you become and you pursue wisdom, it's worth more than silver, dollar, rubies. The pursuit of wisdom is what will bless you. You know why? Because when you have the pursuit of wisdom, the theological capital is, I got to get right with God, and I'm not right with God. And I haven't stayed right with God. And when I stay right with God, the hand of favor. The emotional capital, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I can't sleep at night, I wake up every day, my soul is downcast. And so when I fill myself with the wisdom of God, he says to me, I'm chosen, I'm precious, I'm set apart, I'm anointed, I'm his boy. My soul gets full. I make good decisions when my soul is full. You do not make, I do not make good decisions, right? When my soul is not full. And the social capital, the people in my life I can learn from, I can grow from. It's the pursuit of wisdom. You want more money? He's clear. It is absolutely the pursuit of biblical wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable silver and she yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Wisdom fills the table. She is more precious than rubies. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. That's how this chapter started. That's what you want. You want long life, and you want riches and honor. How do you get long life? That's another sermon for another day, the pursuit of wisdom. How do you have more money? The pursuit of wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is the food on the table. The four legs, that's the capital. 
But the wisdom, that's the buffet. That's the Thanksgiving feast is the wisdom. I love what John Wesley said. John Wesley was a great old preacher a couple hundred years ago. John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I thought those were three really good tensions in your life. So let's make him famous. Let's trust, let's be generous, and let's honor him. Will you stand? Prayer partners come down front. The first place to begin with this buffet is theological capital. And maybe you haven't been right with God, maybe you aren't right with God, this today is the place to start. You're the king, and we worship you today. We put our faith, we put our trust in you. Help us to pursue wisdom and then fill up our table full of financial, emotional, social, and theological capital. In your name we pray, amen.